I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. That's our theme verse from Revelation chapter 20, verse 12 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar continues the series called Encounters with Christ. Today's episode, An Eternal Encounter. Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our hope comes from salvation in Jesus and the promise of heaven, not in current circumstances. The spiritual practice this week, read Romans 15, 13 every day and ask God to fill you with hope. If you want to watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship or search through the message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the Encounters with Christ series. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. And now, Pastor Perry Duggar. What is God renewing in you? Might be a relationship, maybe your help, just maybe your faith. What is God renewing and what needs to be renewed still? Today I conclude the series, Encounters with Christ. And the title of this message and my focus will be an eternal encounter. You know, the book of Revelation, which chapter 1 tells us it was given to the Apostle John, through a vision from an angel, it tells what will happen at the end times, referred to as the end of the age, when Jesus will return and each one of us will be judged. The theme verse, you can open your Bible to Revelation chapter 20 or click it up on your smartphone or whatever else you're using. Revelation chapter 20 Part of verse 12 is the theme I've drawn out. I try to find the theme for the passage out of a verse that's in that passage, typically. And it says, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. Every one of us will have an encounter with Jesus, who will be our judge and will determine our destiny. An encounter with Jesus in eternity first will include enduring judgment. John describes this final judgment in which all of humanity stands before God's throne to receive his justice. Revelation 20 verse 11. I saw a great white throne. Now the color white actually reflects the purity, the wisdom, the truth of God's judgment. And the one sitting on it, the one some translations say, and the ancient one. First mentioned in Daniel chapter 7. And when, when the scripture talks about the ancient one or the one, realize that that's a reference to the Godhead. The, the whole Trinity is represented. So it includes the Son. The Son's not specifically mentioned in this passage, but it includes the Son who has been given the authority to judge. Matthew 25, 
John chapter 5. So we continue in verse 11. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found nowhere to hide, no place. See, the earth and sky, which we now occupy and, and view, has been corrupted by sin ever since the fall. And it will be removed and replaced. We, we often don't think of the earth as corrupted. But how many of you have, try, have tried to grow tomatoes? I mean, the scripture says the earth has fallen and that Adam would labor by his sweat to try to produce something from the earth. And I've tried to produce fruit and berries and vegetables and I think the worms get more than I do and what I don't, what the worms don't get, the birds do. It's not easy. In Eden, things just grew and you didn't have to battle with the corruption of the earth. Continues in verse 12. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. I don't think that's a reference to size. Doesn't show who's been on a diet and who hasn't. That's not the reference. What is it, what it means, who do you think the great are? Yeah, leaders, the prominent people, people who occupied uh, places of power, perhaps kings and presidents and legislators. So the great on this earth will stand before God the same as the small, those of us who labor in obscurity and do common jobs. There'll be no difference before the throne of God, which that's heartening to us, isn't it? I mean, how many of us have real doubts about whether we receive justice? How many of you doubt if you have to go to court? Anybody have any doubts you, that you may not receive justice there? Let me see your hands. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many of us think that justice has to do with how much influence we have, how much power we have, how much status we have? I mean, uh, there are few of us today that would enter a court com convinced that it's going to be a fair outcome, right? There's so much political pressure. There's so much influence from popular opinion. And, and, and none of that stuff should have any influence before a judge. And thankfully, before God, it won't matter if you're great or small. It won't matter... the who you were on earth, it won't matter the color of your skin, it won't matter the level of your education or your status on this earth because when we stand before God, we receive justice and it'll be the great and the small. Believers and unbelievers will be included and both will have their lives evaluated by this perfect judge. Is that surprising to anyone? I think some of us have, have the impression that believers don't receive judgment. Is that, is that your impression? Let me see. Nobody's raising. Is that because of fear you'll get called on? 
Yeah, I've talked to people who used to sit real close. <laughs> and they, they sort of inch back. I need to get a list of all the names on the back row. Or, or up there in the cheap seats, and I'll drive you all right here to the front. But now, some theologians think that there will be two different judgments. One for believers, one for unbelievers, separated by a thousand years. Those are referred to as premillennialist. Others say there's a third judgment. So there's actually three, and that the first one, and it's found in Matthew 25, 31 and 32, is when Jesus separates the sheep, and who is referred to by the word sheep? Believers. From the goats, and who does that refer to? So that's a third, a third judgment, and some, some theologians hold that position. Now, I'm just teaching this passage as it presents itself, and I think if you are familiar with me and you've been here a while, I try to take each passage and not introduce an interpretive grid on top of it. I attempt to let the passage speak as it speaks. So you may have some exception to what I've already said or what I'm about to say, but I'm not arguing. I'm just presenting what this text says. And so you, if you have a different conviction, then good, you can study it away. I think this passage indicates Christians and non-Christians are judged before the white throne. Here's why. Because in the latter part of verse 12, it says, and the books, plural, were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So the fact that the book of life there to me says that there are, there are believers there as well. But the books, plural, it's written in uh, Daniel chapter 7 verse 10, refers to the books in a plural sense. These books record our deeds. You know, there's a lot of talk today about um, beware of your smart devices because they're actually ratting you out. Or the NSA is listening to everything and they have all your emails and all your texts and all your beautiful pictures. I think I need to take some pictures to short circuit them. I'll just take them right after I get out of the shower and just. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. But if we think that folks are reading our emails and, and, and picking up our texts and listening in on our phone calls and we're all worried about that, we'll set that aside because God knows every bit of it. I don't know why we're so concerned about somebody eavesdropping. When God's gathering it all and it's recorded in his books, words, thoughts, Actions, 
attitudes as well as deeds and done perfectly, exactly, with no mistakes, no misinterpretation. God knows us. He knows us better than our spouses and friends know us. He knows us better than who knows us? Better than we know ourselves. Sometimes we don't judge ourselves very accurately, do we? But God knows us fully, accurately. Romans 2. Now the book of life is mentioned specifically. What's another name for the book of life? Come on, y'all want to go on to the lake or wherever, don't you? So give, give. What's another name for the book of life? How about the Lamb's book of life? The Lamb's book of life, Revelation 3, 5. And, and the, the book of life lists the names of all true believers. Every saved person, everyone who's been redeemed by Jesus' blood, Revelation 21, 27. Now, these names were recorded when? Beginning of time. Somebody back there had it. Say it again from back there. You need to get out of the cheap seats and come up here. (laughs) Yes. But a lot of us were taught, you know, as we grew up, that we are saved and our name is written down. How many... How many were taught that? Yeah, I was taught that. I saw you slip it up there and get it back down real quick. (laughs) That's not accurate. All the names were written down before the earth was formed. All the names. And once a name is written... It cannot, what? Cannot be erased. God doesn't carry an eraser. God doesn't carry an eraser. So you needn't fear that you can lose your salvation. Well, but I I did something awful. And that sin was included in the sacrifice of Christ. Because you're not saved by your works. You're saved by grace. And all of your sins came after Christ's sacrifice. Bless you. So the name's been written down. And it cannot be stricken. John 10, 28 through 30. And then it says, in verse 13, The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave, and the grave literally is Greek, Hades, which doesn't, necessarily mean hell or it doesn't mean hell it actually means the place or the state of departed souls and the grave gave up their dead so in other words all people from wherever will return to some form of bodily existence to be judged and all were judged according to their deeds Unbelievers will be condemned for their sins. And really, 
uh, more poignantly, for their rejection of Christ. John 12, 48. Now, believers whose names appear in the book of life won't be condemned. They'll be spared because of their faith, but their lives will be examined for how they lived as redeemed persons in God's kingdom. The recorded deeds of believers give evidence of their relationship with Christ and are the basis for determining their rewards. Does this sound strange to anybody? Look at 1 Corinthians 3. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Okay. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. Well, who are these builders? You'll see it here. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. But like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. And some translation says like one snatched from a fire, like a burning ember. And others refer to those who appear with their shroud smelling of smoke. So the question is, how are you using the life, your life that's been redeemed? How are you using the time that you've been given? What are you doing with the resources, whether they be energy or financial resources? What are you doing with the resources that God has given you? Do you want to be evaluated on those bases? Because you will be. You will be. Verse 14. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Physical death is the first death. This second death is permanent. It's inescapable spiritual death. See, on this earth, we, we're used to getting another chance. And as people, we're, I think we are, but we ought to be gracious toward each other to extend another chance, another chance. But after this judgment, there will be no redos. There will be no additional chance. It's settled for all time, unending. And anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. See, death 
didn't exist before the fall. Death actually was introduced at the fall. And it's interesting, if you read Revelation, uh, read Genesis 3, you see too that the tree of life was removed from the garden. The reason was that after sin entered humanity in the creation, the fall occurred. The tree of life was removed so that we would not live in eternity fallen. You see, for believers, death is escape from this fallen world. But if you read Revelation closely, the tree of life appears there. And when we're changed, we have access to the tree of life and unending life again. But death began with the fall, Genesis 3, Romans 5, 12. But death will be destroyed when Christ returns and resurrects believers to eternal life, never to die again. Thus destroying what 1 Corinthians 15 calls the last enemy. And it leads to a renewal of all of creation. So here's the the question, the most important question, is your name recorded in the book of life? Well, how do I know? Well, you can start by looking at your lifestyle. Have you been changed? Do you live as one that knows Christ and is known by him? Because that's your evidence your own life are you living your life with eternity in view because see that's another evidence if you are just believing okay I prayed this prayer at whatever age and now you know you're living way off of the path that's evidence you don't have a relationship with Christ You may not have one at all, but you certainly don't have a healthy one. So these things are important to to reflect on, to look at honestly, to assess. Now, sometimes people say, well, how dare you ask me whether I've been saved? That's the kindest question you can ask someone. It's the most gracious thing you can say is to ask, not to assert an answer, but to ask a question. The scripture certainly asks that question of us. While there's time, we need to evaluate that. An encounter with Jesus in eternity will also include experiencing a new environment. Chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Different sky, different space, different earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. See, the removal of the first heaven and earth, earth and sky, is because it was cursed by God. And the removal of that, those, that place that was fallen eliminates evil, sin, 
suffering, and death. Now, scholars who don't have enough to do with their time, scholars debate whether the old heaven and the old earth was totally destroyed and replaced with an entirely new uh, creation or whether they were just transformed like the way believers' bodies are resurrected and glorified. Because we're going to retain some of our appearance, but in a glorified body. All my hair comes back, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. We'll all be, well, uh, hopefully we'll be a little more youthful. What do you think? <laughs> you like <that? laughs> The new heavens and earth will be an eternal, perfect, pure place where there's no evil, no aging, no degradation at all. None of it exists. Be nice to be freed from aging. What do you think, Gene? And it will be a world filled with God's righteousness. Now, here's the thing. The word righteousness has a bad reputation, I think. Do you? Because when I say righteousness, that's not all that appealing of a word, is it? I mean, if you're honest, righteousness seems kind of stiff, doesn't it? It means you behave better. Is that right? I'm righteous. It almost sounds proud, doesn't it? You're looking at the word wrongly. The word righteousness means to be right with God. The word righteousness is a relational word. We think of it as a religious word. That's the wrong understanding. Righteousness is being right with God. And you know how that feels. You know when you have a friend or, a, or your, uh, your spouse. You know when you, 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 you encounter them again and things are not right. That doesn't feel too good, does it? You go home and it's, uh oh, no, things are not right here. I'm not right. It's like that phrase, you know, you, when mama's not happy, nobody's happy. But it's really nice to go home when things are right. When there's, when there's cohesion. The word people used to use when, when everybody's copacetic. That wouldn't, doesn't it feel good when you, you enter God's presence and, and it's just right. The relationship's good. It's clear. It's honest. There's no mistrust. There's no betrayal. There's no dishonesty. I want you to feel that. There's no holding back. There's no hiding away. And see, we live in a world that's not that righteous sometimes. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we get involved in negotiations with business people and we're scared we might be getting ripped off. Is that right? And not everybody with a fish on their sign is swimming right either. You know, I told a story, my, my, my um, driveway started sinking and it took 
a gap between my front step and my driveway. Well, it didn't take me that long, a month or so, maybe a year, to figure out something's not right. <laughs> Something isn't, something's not right here. So I thought, well, I wonder if there's any way to get it raised up. So I, you know, did my research and found somebody that could, could lift your driveway. I called these people. I mean, man, this was a national, nationwide company. This guy shows up at my house. He's got videos. He's got all this publicity, these brochures. He's, I mean, man, he wanted to show me all his videos. He's, I said, look here, my, my driveway is dropping. You said you can raise it. I don't need any videos. I need a price. He wanted to show those videos something terrible. Well, I, I figured out why when he said it cost me $9,000 to raise my driveway. So I'm in line at some church folks' um, barbecue, Smoky Dreams, and, I, and this guy's, we're waiting and he's talking. I said, what do you do? He said, well, I raise driveways. And I said, really? I said, well, how about coming to my house? So he comes, he checks everything out. And I said, okay, well, how much? Well, it's, it's going to be $3,000. The man with the, all the videos calls me up, said, you ready to start? I said, no, I got another bid. Well, isn't the bid close to mine? I said, no, yours is three times what that guy's is. But we live in that world, don't we? Oh, I need to replace your brakes and your engine and your transmit. And we don't know because we don't live in a righteous world. We don't live in a world where people, if they're talking, they're telling the truth. I mean, think about how many interactions you had in the last week and you just said, I hope I'm not getting ripped off. That's unrighteous because the relationships aren't right. But there'll come a time when we'll be right with God. And that is righteousness. It's a relational term, you see? It's not a religious pretending holy term. Now, I think this new heaven and earth is going to be similar to our current earth, but without the curse of sin. So I think it'll really be the earth as it was created to be. So it's almost like being restored to Eden. And verse 1 continues, and it says, and the sea was gone. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be any bodies of water in the new earth. This, this reference in Revelation to the sea is that the sea is a source of rebellion and chaos and, and danger. Because it's from the sea, those of you that study Revelation, you know that the beast emerges out of the sea. But it's a sea of chaos, Revelation 13, Daniel 7. And so that sea will be removed because there'll be no source of evil, chaos, lying in the new earth. None. None. Verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Hebrews 12, Revelation 21. And that refers to the city that has the streets of gold and the gates of pearl. 
coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And, and you know this, but the church is composed of all believers. And the, the church will reside in the new Jerusalem. And the scripture, 2 Corinthians 11, Ephesians 5, refers to us as the bride of Christ. Because it implies the intimacy of union and connection between each one of us and Jesus. And we're invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb in Revelation 19. But as you hear all this, the new heavens and new earth, is that a place you want to be? Because some of us would really rather stay right here. But eternity exists. And are you ready? And are you eager? An encounter with Jesus in eternity will also include existing in God's presence. Verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And remember when Jesus came in Matthew chapter 1, it says, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. And that's a quote from Isaiah. What do you think about that, Summer? God is with us. You ever have times you can't hear him? You ever have times you feel distant? No, in heaven we'll be in constant contact with God himself. He'll remain with us. You say, but we have the spirit. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But remember this. We don't have two natures, but we do have the spirit of God living in the flesh. And sometimes that distorts our ability to hear. And sometimes our own desires get in the way of what God wants. God may be whispering, but boy, I'm yelling what I want. But there won't be any more inability to hear God. You won't ever feel like he's far away. Anybody ever feel like God's far away sometimes? Let me see. Especially sometimes when you need him and you need a word and you just can't hear. Sometimes we're clamoring so loud we drown out the still small voice. Verse 4. And in the presence of God, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death. You lost your dear husband this past year. No more death. He's here. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more pain. Because all these things are gone forever. God will reverse the curse that entered the world through human sin. And he will, and, and in that curse came sorrow and pain, suffering, sickness, grief, and death. And God will reverse it all. And verse 5, and the one sitting on the throne 
said, look, I am making everything new. That was a beautiful song they sang right before I came out, wasn't it? I mean, think about that. Don't you want to be made new? Faye, you want to be made new? I'd like to be made new. I'd like the world to be new. All the relationships whole. Righteousness in every relationship with every person. No more sickness. No more death. No more mistakes. No more regrets. No more depression. No more. No more. And then he said to me, write this down, John, for what I'm telling you is trustworthy and true. You know, when we've been praying for Graham, and so many of you pray for Graham. Y'all saw him last week. But several of us, including me, have heard God say, I make all things new. But I don't know exactly what he means. You know what I'm saying, Mike? I hear it, but I don't know exactly what it means. But I heard it, several others heard it. I'll make all things new. And speaking of new, I do have a new one I'll show you. But that little one is six pounds, six ounces, that little girl. And the other boy is 20 pounds, 21 pounds. I I won't keep showing my grandchildren photo album, I promise. I promise, (laughs) promise. It'll be the end. Well, maybe not, but, but, but write this down was instruction to John to record the truths that had just been spoken in verses one through four. The presence of God in the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, no sorrow, no pain, no death. How, what would that feel like when no one speaks to you that isn't telling you the truth. Wouldn't that feel wonderful? And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega. That's the first and the last Greek letters. The beginning and the end. See, God, and again, when I say God, we're talking about the Godhead, the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. God accomplished his purpose when, when at, you know, at the time of judgment, it will all be completed. The plan of redemption is finished, sealed, closed, final. All the enemies of God in Christ are destroyed and all his children saved. God is the Alpha and the Omega because he existed before creation. See, God's not inside a creation, and he's not inside of time. The world is a creation. Time is a creation. God borders creation. He contains and he controls all of creation, and he will renew all things. In verse 6, it continues, To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And Revelation 22 says that the water of life flows from the throne of God and the Lamb. Now, what does this mean? Anybody in here thirsty? You said, no, the coffee's better. That's not what I'm talking about. Anybody in here 
thirsty. Give me a hand if you acknowledge you're thirsty. Well, what are you talking about? Anybody in here unsatisfied? Anybody in here unfulfilled? Anybody in here feel like something's missing? Anybody feel like something's missing? You don't like to admit it, but that, 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 it's that aching inside that drives you to look here and there and run here and there and try to find something that's going to fulfill you, something that's at least going to distract you. A lot of times what we call peace in this world is nothing but pleasant distraction. And it ends. And then we're hustling again. I need to do something. Listen, this, this thirst is what drives every addiction. And the practice of immorality is addiction. The use of drugs and alcohol is addiction. The use of, of, of control is addiction. The need to achieve something and, and be somebody important is addiction. They're all addictions. They're all trying to satisfy thirst that's in because of the fall. And you'll find nothing to drink on earth that will satisfy that thirst. You might get distracted from it. People in, you know, immorality get distracted from it. Briefly. But you'll be fully satisfied when you drink from the water of life in heaven. Now, Jesus offered that water to two. Well, he offered it one occasion and one, one, one person. Who did he offer it to? Samaritan woman at the well. She didn't know what in the world he was talking about. You won't live in water? She said, you don't even have a rope. Where's your bucket? <laughs> and then at the Feast of Tabernacles, he said, are y'all thirsty? After they poured out all this water in ceremony. Come over here and I'll give you something to drink. And you won't need any more. But he's offering it to you. And verse 7 says, all who are victorious will inherit these blessings. Do you know that you inherit from what somebody else does? Inheritance is always by grace. So why do we keep thinking we're earning something from God? All of these blessings are inherited and we just receive. But what's it mean to victorious? Well, victorious over what? Or over sin that leads to death? Over self, which is relying on your own efforts instead of casting yourself on the mercy and the grace of God? But here's the thing. If you are victorious in these ways, he, God says, I will be their God. And they will be my children. This eternal adoption results in this continual intimacy with God. We have it now and it's real and it's tangible and we experience it. But it's not perfected yet. But oh, in heaven, these, these inherited blessings will come as you live constantly in God's presence. Is that what you desire? You know, some of you say, well, I don't really like even hearing about all that. I'm just trying to go through my life, do my job, and go to the lake tomorrow. <laughs> but I want to tell you, eternity's coming. 
and we need to be getting ready. And you say, wait a minute now, you, you, you told us you were going to tell us whether we were at the end times. Well, here's my answer. Live every day as though you were. And you will be prepared for the end times when they arrive. Counselors will be here if you want to talk to someone, if you want to pray with someone. And some of you may say, gosh, you you covered so much stuff. How can I, can I read behind you? Well, you may know this, but I post the manuscript every week. And you can take it off the website. It has all the cross-references that I refer to and don't refer to. And you can uh, study it at your, at your leisure. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would confirm to us where we are. Lord, please let us know that our names are recorded in the Lamb's book. But Lord, also show us whether we're using our lives, our resources in the way that you would have us to use them so that we can be prepared for that day when you examine our lives. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of Him during your time as foreigners in the land. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.